Yeah. <laughs> we can applaud our church. That's great. Hey, uh, good to be with you this morning, Edinburgh. Yes? Yeah, it's a great morning. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to our guest worship leader this morning, Levi. Can we give him a round of applause? Yeah, it was great. And uh, I also just want to echo something Josh said about the app. I would strongly encourage you to download that app. And make sure when you do, um, you say yes to the notifications. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going on around here, just a lot of stuff even this past summer. Guys, when you stop and think about it, the baptism services, uh, when we gathered and prayed over all the kids and students here at Edinburgh Church, including staff, those of you who work in in schools. And this gives us an opportunity to remind you of those things when those bigger things come up. So it'll keep you up to date. So strongly encourage you, download that app and make sure you have the notifications uh, turned on. Uh, Today we are kicking off, though, a new series a new series um, called A Higher Calling, Love, Loving People, even, even When It's Hard. Um, it, it's something that, that, that Jesus has called us to, this, this concept of, of loving people. And uh, let's be honest, sometimes relationships are challenging. Sometimes um, relationships are hard, but it is what God has called us to as believers, it's what Jesus has, has modeled for us and called us to, right? Jesus himself said the greatest command, right? To love God with all your heart and to love others as yourself. This is what we have been called to, to love people, especially when it's, when it's hard. It's a higher calling, but it's also a better calling. It's a better calling. Uh, my grandma was known for her cooking. Anyone who ever ate my grandma's food talked about her food. And and she was a very hospitable person who would want to invite people over, people from work that we didn't, the family didn't even know would be coming over. And as soon as you ate my grandma's food, you wanted more of my grandma's food. She was just known for her cooking. She was also known for giving us too much and wanting you to eat more than you could handle. I kid you not, my grandma one time made like the special sauce and the stuff for hamburgers that my grandpa grilled, and she made these hamburgers. She made me eat five of them. I was like, Grandma, my tummy hurts. She was like, be quiet and eat, okay? That's just how she was because she got so much enjoyment seeing people eat her food. She was known for her food. But it wasn't because of the amount of salt she used. It wasn't because of the amount of sugar she put in her desserts, and she was very generous with the sugar she used. It wasn't because of how long she let things simmer on the stove or broiled things in the oven. I'm telling you, what what took her cooking to the next level, what, what took it from being good to great, was she always put the ingredient of love in it. And it was sensed and it was experienced. And it's what made her cooking so, so, so great. The ingredient of love. I bet if I asked most of us in here today, you know, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live just a mediocre, average life? Do you want to live just a good life? Most of you would say, no, I want to live a great life. I want to get all that God has for me in this life. And I'm telling you, if that's you, 
If you're a person who wants all that God wants for you, to experience all the good things God wants for your life, you're going to need the ingredient of, of love, okay? And, and so as we kick off this series where we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and what God's love looks like in action, today's going to kind of serve as an introduction to this series, an overview of, of what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you probably know this chapter, right? You probably know 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to start off just by reading verse 1 for us. The Apostle Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, he says, I gain nothing. Now, to understand what Paul is talking about here, we, we've got to understand the context that's happening in the church of Corinth. Um, the church of Corinth was a gifted church. They had a lot of talent, uh, a lot of spiritual gifts um, that, that, that we learn about. Uh, this was a very talented and, and gifted church, gifted by God, and that was good. But at the same time, they also had relational problems. There were factions and there were divisions. We know of marriages that were struggling within this church, families that were struggling within this church. I mean, it was so bad that when they would take communion, there were people that would hoard the food and keep other people from being able to join in communion with them. The relationships were tense in this church. They were gifted. They had spiritual gifts. They had talents. They had things they could use for the Lord but they didn't have a whole lot of love. And, and Paul's point in this passage, what he's trying to say, is love is what matters most. The most important thing is love and how we love one another. And just to back up, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, probably talking about the spiritual gift of tongues, which is a good gift to have. He says, but I have not love. He says, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, can, can you imagine a, a, a gong just constantly going off? How annoying that would get. Can you imagine a cymbal on a drum? Like when it's with a band and it's working in harmony with other musicians, it can be a fantastic thing. But if it's just a cymbal just constantly going off, I mean, if it's that, that monkey, right, just constantly clanging the cymbals, we all understand that, that's, that it gets annoying real fast. And that's what Paul's point is. You can have the spiritual gift of tongues and be very gifted in that area, but if it's not done out of a heart of love, he says, I'm just going to be annoying to the people around me. He goes on to say, I can have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge. He's saying, I, I, can, have, I, I can have knowledge and faith coming out of my ears. If I don't have love, listen to this, I am nothing. He's saying, I'm a nobody. I, I can be so gifted in, in my knowledge and in, in my spiritual awareness, but if I don't operate from a heart of love, 
I'm a nobody. You know, Pastor Joshua talked about that, that this passage that, that haunts me uh, a couple weeks ago, Matthew 20, 16. Uh, so the last will be first, Jesus said, and the first will be what? Does this verse haunt anybody else in like really weird circumstances and situations? You ever find yourself thinking about this verse? Does it ever come to mind? Uh, like my family will like have a pizza and there'll be two slices left. And one slice will be a little bigger than the other slice. And Danielle and I will both want that last slice. And I'll come to the box first. And I will get hit by the Holy Spirit with this verse. I better not take the bigger piece. And so I will give her the bigger piece so that in the kingdom she will be last. <laughs> and I will be first. And anybody else get, get hit with this? Does this verse haunt anyone else? Because this is how God's economy works. This is how the kingdom works. Sorry, honey. Until we serve others and put others first and, 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 and love each other in this way, in God's economy, in the kingdom, Paul's saying, I'm going to be a nobody. What makes me a somebody is the way I love. He even says I can give away all I have and I can deliver up my body to be burned. But if I don't have love, I, I gain nothing. What's he saying here? He's like, you can make great sacrifice. But if your sacrifice is just to be seen by others, right, what did Jesus say? Jesus said that's going to be your reward. Don't expect anything else from God. I wonder if some of us miss out on receiving God's blessing and favor in our life to some degree because we're not operating from a heart of, of love, okay? So it, 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 what Paul is telling us here is, is love is even more important than the spiritual gifts. It's, it's not that the spiritual gifts are bad. In fact, the church needs these spiritual gifts, to operate. We need these spiritual gifts, gifts to walk in the spirit. We really do. But what matters most, what's more important than even these spiritual gifts is the way we love one another, the way we love in our, our relationships with each other. So we got to answer this question, though. What, what is love? What is this love that the Apostle Paul is talking about? One thing that's interesting is that in the English language, we have one word for love, right? It's love, and it's this very general love. But in the Greek, when you look at the New Testament, it has unique words, specific words telling us uh, what specific aspects of love look like, okay? Um, so, for example, you have this, this Greek word, eros. And eros is this romantic love, okay? It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's sexual love. That's what eros is, um, and this is a love that really takes, and it's not that this is bad, right? In marriage, eros is very good. In fact, we have, the, we have a book in the Bible, the Song of Songs. It talks a lot about this kind of, of, of love. But that's not the kind of love Paul's talking about, this eros, this romantic uh, love. You know, songs on the radio, these love songs that you hear on the radio, usually talking about eros. This is a love that takes. Then you have philia. Philia is brotherly love, okay? 
Um, this is a love that both gives and takes. It's a friendship kind of love. Uh, interesting side note, um, the city Philadelphia. Delphia means city of philia, city of brotherly love, which is a little ironic. If you have ever seen Philadelphia Eagles fans, but that's what it means. City of brotherly love. It's this mutual give and take kind of love. This is not the kind of love that the Apostle Paul is talking about. The Apostle Paul is talking about agape love, okay? Agape love, which is unconditional, sacrificial love. And this is a love that simply gives. This is a love that gives, okay? So, so what does agape love then look like in action? That's what Paul's going to tell us next. What does this love look like in action? Verse 4, he goes on to say, love, agape, is patient and kind. How are you doing in this area? Patient, kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. And just so you know, the rest of this series, we are going to break this down and talk about these different things Paul mentions here. That's going to be the rest of the series. But for today... I want us to think about this. Do you notice that what Paul is talking about here is, 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 is a kind of love that is necessary when relationships are difficult? Did you notice? Because love is patient. Older translations would say long-suffering. He's talking about a kind of love here that, 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 that endures through suffering with somebody else. It's a love that's kind. It's not a love that gets proud and, and arrogant to, to, to get its own way. It's not a love that gets irritable or resentful, right? When other people rub us wrong, let's be honest, we, we can get irritable. We can find ourselves getting, getting resentful. He talks about love bearing all things. And enduring all things. So even when the relationship gets really, really hard, what does this kind of agape love do? It endures. It bears that insult. It bears that offense. And it still loves. Man, this is a, this is a hard kind of love to, to put into practice, right? This, this is a different kind of love. But the reality is what Paul is, is pointing out here is relationships get hard at times. Can we all just be honest about that? And, and it seems like sometimes the closer you get in a relationship with someone, the harder that relationship even gets to, to live this out. Uh, I remember two years ago, we were, were talking with a, a couple that had been married for, for, for roughly two years. So they were somewhat still newlyweds. And I could tell they were tiptoeing around something they wanted to talk to me about, but I was picking up on what the problem was. And I eventually just said, I said, let me guess, you are struggling in your marriage. 
And they said, their, their eyes got big. How, how did you know? Because you're married. <laughs> Marriage is going to have challenges. Marriage is going to have struggles. Families are going to have challenges. Families are going to have struggles. See, this is, this is, they were operating by what? Eros. And that's how most of us do come into a, into a marriage covenant with someone. It, it usually starts with Eros, romantic kind of love. But what Paul is challenging us is that at some point in your marriage, it's going to have to evolve from just Eros to agape love. Sacrificial, unconditional love. Building up that other person and loving that person even when they're, when they're hard. Families. Often operate by philea kind of love. As long as, you know, you're somewhat nice to me, I'll be somewhat nice to you. And, and, and it works. But that's not what Paul's challenging us to here. He's not challenging us to philea love. He's challenging us to agape love. Even when that family member's impossible, we are still able to love them. Long suffer with them. Friends, this is truly a higher calling. <laughs> And, and, and as I talk about this, this is hard to do, isn't it? I dare say, impossible in our own strength to live this kind of love uh, out. And yet, look at what Jesus says. This is the calling we've been called to. Uh, John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another, if you agape one another. Okay, so this is as believers what we have been called to, this impossible kind of love, this supernatural kind of love. It's beyond eros, it's beyond philea, friendship kind of love. It's an unconditional sacrificial love, and it raises this question, how in the world do we possibly live this kind of love out? Well, for that, Apostle John, he gives us the answer. I think he puts it the most succinctly. In 1 John 4, 19, look what he says. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Friends, here, here's the principle we got to learn. To live out God's love, God's love first has to live in us. Before you can show this kind of agape love to anyone else, you're going to have to receive God's agape love for you. See, when I became a Christian, uh, many of you know my story, you know my past. I, I was guilt-wracked, I, I, was, I was walking in shame, but I knew enough to say, Jesus, I know you can, you can bring me into heaven when I die, and I even believe you can help me on earth. I, I had that much knowledge, but the rest of my theology was really bad, and I had this picture of God that he sits on the throne ready to judge me at, 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 at any moment. That he sits on the throne waiting to see what my performance is going to be, how I'm going to live up to his standards. If I do good, he's going to reward that, and maybe he'll show me a little love. Maybe he'll invite me in. If I don't, I can expect the lightning bolt. This was my view of God. He's a judge sitting there waiting to judge my every action and move. And so what I found myself doing was friends white-knuckling it. I'm going to have to try really hard to live out this higher calling. 
And I found myself trying to do everything I could to get on God's good side. I can't help but wonder if that's some of us this morning, trying to do whatever you can to get on God's good side, trying to white-knuckle it in your own strength. But here's what happened. Eventually, I found myself utterly exhausted. I found myself burned out. I found myself irritable and bitter and angry at God because I was exhausted. And it didn't seem to be getting me anywhere. And I was not now showing a whole lot of love to those around me, to be honest. I found myself being judgmental. I found myself being irritable. I found myself doing that. Well, at least my sin isn't as bad as that other person's sin, so I can feel a little better about myself. There wasn't a lot of love in my life towards other people because really in my heart, I was bitter at God. And friends, this was the lesson that I had to learn. This is what eventually broke me from that kind of thinking. You see, as Christians... Most of us think there's a three-step process to becoming a Christian. And let me see if this resonates with any of you. Step one is God gives us a general invitation to come into his kingdom. Step two is I believe. And then step three is God invites me into his family. Anybody, is that, is that kind of how would we say that's kind of generally how Christians think? One, God gives me a general invite to come into his family. Step two is I believe. Three, he invites me into his family. I bet that's how a lot of us are operating today. What, what if I told you that is a wrong way to think? Step one, yes. God has given us a general invitation to come into his kingdom. But step two is not that you believed. This is very important for us, friends. Step three is God started hunting you down, pursuing you, inviting into you into his family before you ever even knew who he really was. God stepped down and said, I'm coming to you. And I'm not talking about some general love here. All right now, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. He had you in his sights. And when the time was right and the circumstance was right, then you believed but so many of us are operating in this general love that God has for the world. You've missed that, no, he was hunting you down specifically, that he knew you by name, and he was calling you to himself before you ever even knew who he really was. He saw past your faults. He saw past your failures. He said, yeah, I know you got some junk in your life, but that's not what matters right now. We'll put that aside. We will deal with that. I will help you with those things. What matters most is that you know how much I love you. And he called you to himself. And then, at some point, you believed. <laughs> Friends, that is a different way of thinking about God. He's not some judge up in heaven waiting to strike you down. He's a God who's been hunting you down. What if I told you before the foundations of the world? I didn't make this up, by the way, and this isn't my own opinion. Ephesians 1.4 says this. Even before he made the world, God, what's that word? Loved, agaped us, and chose us in Christ to be holy 
and without fault in his eyes. Yes, he's going to teach us how to walk in righteousness. But not before he chose you and called you to himself. John 15, 16, Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but what? I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Friends, I'm telling you, when I learned this truth, when I learned that God was looking past my faults, he loved me with an unconditional love despite my faults and was actually the reason I was coming into the Christian faith, it changed everything because I realized it wasn't me holding on to God, it was God holding on to me. And you know what was able to happen? I was able to finally rest. I'm telling you, some of you, you're trying to white knuckle it. You're trying to do this Christian thing in your own strength. And what you need to do is rest and learn that if you have any interest in this Christ, it is not because of you. It's not because of how smart you are. It's not because you're better than anyone else. It's because God has reached down and brought you to himself. That is a different way to see the love of God in your life. And I'm telling you, it can change everything. Because finally you realize he's the one doing it all, so he gets all the glory. Saving a sinner like me. Why would he do that? Because he operates by agape love. Unconditional. Sacrificial love. And so, friends, we're going to celebrate that this morning. We're going to celebrate that, that, that agape love. We're taking communion this morning. If you did not grab a communion cup, there's people in the back who can bring you in. Just raise your hand. Thanks, you guys, for serving that. While that gets passed out, here's, here's my challenge for all of us this morning. Could we today, just as a church, could we just rest in God's love? Could we just bask in it a little bit? Could we just settle ourselves in it and trust it and just receive it? Maybe some of you have the devil in your head telling you lies. God could never love someone like you because of something you've done or because of something you're currently struggling with. I want you to read He already saw it, friends. Nothing takes God by surprise. But the reason you're in this thing is because he brought you into this thing. It's his work. And I wonder if we could just rest in that, knowing, okay, God, you, you've, done, you've done what's necessary. You've done it all. You made the sacrifice. You brought me in. You called me. Can we just rest? I, I kind of compare it to like a hot tub. You think of like a hot tub, you know, at first you like take that first step. If it's really hot, you're like, oh, this burns. You get that next foot. It's like, oh, this burns. I shouldn't be in this thing. But then you put your leg in and then eventually your body in and eventually you're sitting down and you go, oh, this feels so good. <laughs> Friends, we got to sit in the hot tub of God's love this morning. Just bask in it. Let it fuel you. Let it, let, it, let it work on you. Let it relax you. Because I'm telling you, that's where our power to love comes from. It comes from God's love for us. What is the ingredient that all of us need in this life? We need the love of God. And it's here in this place. And we have an opportunity to all just bask in it and receive it. So receive it. That's what this communion cup is all about. It represents the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus for you and me. It's agape love, friends. 
What are we doing? We're, we're taking Jesus into ourselves this morning. We're taking his love. We're saying we receive you. We receive your love. So let's open up that top layer. Let's take out that, that wafer. Even though God called us to himself, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be something to take away our sin. Did you provide that gift? He provided the gift. He made the way. Jesus was broken because he loves you, friends, that much. So let's take that love into our bodies, into our lives this morning. Thank you, Jesus. And then there's the blood. Poured out so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. You just peel back that second layer. He made a way so we could be washed, so we could start walking in righteousness, not in our own strength, but by his spirit that we're taking into ourselves this morning. We're being filled with his life, his spirit. So let's take it in. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you love sinners and that maybe what some of us grew up hearing isn't the, isn't the God that you really are. <laughs> maybe some of us have some faulty thinking this morning that needs to be undone and, and we need to bask in this truth that God, you pursued us long before we ever pursued you. You were thinking of us and had us in your mind before the world was even created. That's an amazing thought that you would love us with that kind of love. You know everything about us, all of our faults, all of our failures, things from 10 years from now we're going to struggle with. It <laughs> doesn't matter. We'll deal with that as it comes. What matters is that you are my child. So maybe some of us here this morning, we need to just spend a little time as we worship thinking on what you've done in our past. How maybe life's not where we exactly would like it to be right now, but we're not left in our sin anymore. We're not dead in our sin. You've called us to something new. You've called us to something better. And we can give you thanks for that this morning. God, I pray as we worship, we'd look ahead to our future, trusting you to do the impossible in our lives that we would anticipate you, God, doing great things because that's who you are. And maybe there's some of us this morning just need a little hope. Well, we have it. <laughs> so breathe faith into us so that we can live in that hope, worship out of that hope, and receive the blessings that flow out of that faith when we put our faith in a loving, agape God. We now invite you into this place to just be with us, and we want to return what we've heard back to you in worship this morning. We pray this, Jesus, in your name and all God's people said.